and welcome back to Harry Potter and the Reread Podcast. I'm your host, David Jansen, and joined as always by my co-host, Kyle Jans. Kyle, how are you? I'm I'm good. I'm actually a little frustrated. I th- These past two chapters, I just, I got into them, but I was so angry at the Wizarding World and a lot of the characters that we met. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so much nonsense going on so much. in these up in these two chapters and that's one of the things that i don't think you realize as a kid when you are reading it you're like oh this is funny or oh yeah sure this is just happening but you don't actually kind of stop to be like this logistically does not make sense this is slightly racist this is slightly (laughs) prejudiced yeah there's there's a lot of that in these two chapters here it's weird i I also so I looked at the page counts before we started reading and it was like, I think the first chapter was like um, the first chapter was 16 pages and the second chapter was 18 pages and man for whatever that is, 34 pages of reading plot wise, two things happened. Yep. Exactly. So we're going to go through, I think these recaps are going to be pretty quick. Um, I know mine is like, I was like struggling for bullet points to write down. Cause like nothing happens in the first chapter and nothing really much in the second chapter. Cause it's just I mean, a, quid- it, it, a little bit, but it's a Quidditch recap. Yeah. And we're still doing, and we're still doing all setup, which is important. Like this mm-hmm. book is long, like obviously. So we're setting the floor of a lot of things or, or setting the, the tone for a lot of things, which is they were fun chapters to read. But as I was like writing notes yesterday, I was like, what the hell are we going to talk about? So <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we, find out yeah before uh, we, we might not talk about anything Who knows? we'll see yeah we we are going to be discussing chapter seven or of the harry potter goblet of fire series here mm-hmm. uh chapter seven bagman and crouch who we meet two new characters as well as chapter eight the quidditch world cup uh before i'm gonna turn slightly to my side in my cluttered background here that you can see you might be able to see mr hedwig lego set that's set up right oh, yeah. at the back there uh finished that a little while ago but I, it's the first time that i've had a chance to show it off here maybe we'll show it off on the uh harry Take potter it. instagram account so yeah, uh, people that. can check it out anyway let's get into this let's start with uh chapter seven begman and crouch so the group gets to a campsite uh they've just port keyed in and as they go to this campsite they have to pay a muggle with muggle money uh we're going to talk about that um they set up the tents and we learned that nobody knows how to set up a tent, but they figure it out. We learned that magic tents are obviously much bigger than they appear. So that's kind of fun. Ron, Harry and Hermione break off to go get some water for their campsite. They run into Seamus and his mom who mentioned that they are cheering for Ireland. And then they go to check out what's going on with the Bulgaria supporters camps. Apparently there's some crazy stuff going on over there as they're making their way over there. Ron tells us about how great 18-year-old Quidditch player Victor Crum is. Um, they run into some other classmates that they know, Cho, um, Oliver Wood, uh, and then some bunch of other people who are their age that they don't know. So Ron theorizes that they must be from other schools. He knows that other schools exist, but he doesn't know anything about them. Um, then Ludo Bagman strolls by the camp. We learn he's a former Quidditch player. He's the head of the, the wizarding games department. Um, he makes a modest bet with Arthur and the twins make a ridiculous, butt, pretty much all of their money that Ireland will win, but Crum will get the snitch. In passing again, they meant that they mentioned Bertha Jorkins and that he still doesn't know where she is, but she'll probably turn up. It's not the first time we've mentioned uh, Bertha as we've, as we've gone on here. 
Um, Barty Crouch then arrives. Uh, the highlight of his visit is that he doesn't know Percy's name. Um, he's sort of uptight, very nervous about everything that's going on. Um, Ludo mentions that after the World Cup, they have another event to look forward to. Barty Crouch is annoyed that he talks about that. Then they go and buy some souvenirs and, and that's it. That's the chapter. <laughs> that is the chapter. We meet our two new characters here, two higher up guys in the ministry, Barty Crouch and Ludo Bagman. Both characters have some really severe flaws, red flags, whatever you want to call them. Um, let's start with with Ludo. What were your initial thoughts on him? So he really has that like ex-athlete in power vibe. <laughs> so you, you see it um, sometimes in professional sports where these players, they've finished playing, they're now athletes, and they get into these positions of power, whether it's running a team or, you know, being involved with like the board of the organized, but you see, and they sort of, they, they not ever, I don't want to pretend that this is all of them, but you, everyone knows the vibe of this ex-athlete who now is in a role that they are not qualified to do. Yeah. And it's um, all, they're there simply because of their name. Right. And so he thinks he does a lot of stuff to make everything happen. And he actually seems like he's doing none of it. He's just sort of the face. And he has all these people behind him that are actually worried about the things, doing the work, doing all that stuff. Um, so, you know, he just the kind of guy who just sort of does what he wants and, and sort of doesn't think bad things can happen because he never has to deal with them. That's well, sort of my sort of my read on Ludo Bagman. Yeah, like he kind of gave me golden retriever energy like he was he's, he's very enthusiastic but he was clueless kind of about what was going on like you said everything was a breeze even though as they're in this muggle campground there's chaos all over the 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 place and he like, just doesn't see it he doesn't see it and i yeah. feel like maybe that should have been i i don't exactly know what his roles were what his duties were going into this he clearly didn't do anything because he was like oh this is really easy he's to the do. face i think he's, his role to be fair to him i think his role is to be the face and they make sure that, you know, they have, who we're going to talk about in a sec, they got the Barty Crouches of the world there to actually get things done. To actually get things done. I was always wondering, is he part of like the, why this muggle security is so bad within this campground? But that doesn't seem like it would be uh, part of him. Falls to him. But no. yeah, obviously a bit of an idiot too. He's disclosing information about an upcoming event in front yeah. of the students that it's going to impact and that type of thing. And then you read these chapters, you read these again, and you kind of notice that like all these addictions or baggage issues are like attached to these characters, but not really discussed. And like, it's pretty clear that he's addicted to gambling as well. He's taken bets all over the place. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't clock that, but you're a hundred percent correct. Um, the fact that he was upset when Arthur only bet him one galleon. One <laughs> And I think we'll talk about it later, but Fred and George's bet of basically their life savings as their well, life savings. which um, we'll see how that goes for them. But uh, I think that's a pretty good overview of, of Ludo. But then we get into Barty Crouch. And he's, like the, he's like the anti-Ludo. I was going to say, if you have Ludo at one side of the spectrum, you got Barty Crouch here at the other side. They don't have anything in common here. No. No, it seems like they're partners on a project who want nothing to do with each other. Actually, that's not fair because I think they're partners on a project where they both sign their names, but Barty's done all the work. So Ludo is happy to work with Barty and Barty wants nothing to do with nothing Ludo. To do. That's, my, yeah. that's my actual read on the situation. He's the guy who didn't commit any or contribute anything to the Correct. group project and Correct. still gets the grade in the end. 
and Crouch is the one who probably does. The only reason that anything gets done feels like it's probably Barty Crouch. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting how he, he he's the guy who fits in. We'll get into it uh, later about the mug uh, wizards trying to dress up as muggles and they're totally out to lunch on a lot of their descriptions and how they think muggles dress. But he's described as looking like a bank manager, like every piece of hair is put in place. And Harry thinks even Uncle Vernon wouldn't be able to pick him out of the line. Um, opposite in that sense, just real, it's alluded to as well, but he's got total Percy vibes, like by the rules. He does. He has, he has like Percy on steroids vibes. <laughs> what Percy I mean, but that makes sense. We heard, we heard in the last couple of chapters, we heard Percy talk about how Barty Crouch is basically his hero. He's by the book. He gets things done. Um, uh he just he just sort of you can see the emulation of of who they are like you just see it so mm-hmm. you um, see it and then i don't know i did a bit of reading not reading ahead but some background reading on these characters through potter more and then all of a sudden when you realize what was actually going on at the time and that type of thing uh we're obviously going to learn a lot more about him in the in the coming book here as, as he plays quite a big big role in everything that that goes down so the the first impressions are always interesting but i guess that's like anything in this book or in any in the, in this series your first impressions also you might get like a lingering feeling that maybe something is off but you don't really know what exactly that is until you continue to to read on a bit about them so overall though i mean two interesting introductions to two characters who i think play bigger roles in this book yeah uh i think the thing with barty crouch as we'll see as it goes on is you don't really i don't want to spoil it for any listeners who aren't rereading um i think most people are rereading or no uh but but there's a lot more sinister stuff going on in the barty crouch areas that's that's let off and you don't know right now is he sinister or is he just uptight like you and right now he just feels really uptight but as we move on it's going to sort of he's not a bad guy but he's also not a good guy um and he might be a bad guy um but we don't know that yet if you're reading it for the first time you don't know that yet so as we sort it's gonna be fun to sort of watch because he's not a main character in the book but where we're at right now when we meet him and where we get to at the end of the book where obviously where he ends up a lot has to happen to get there so Mm -hmm. um interesting introduction for sure anything that you kind of forgot in this chapter i mean so going into it i knew that i don't remember i knew i didn't remember too much about ludo bagman the biggest fact i remembered is that they cut him out of the movie Mm -hmm. um and in the movie they they sort of merged ludo bagman and and crowdy crouch together which is interesting because they're so different but i think the key plot points they just put together in one character makes sense from a movie so you know everything about him was was sort of uh new to me or not new but you know what I mean? I didn't, that was all like a refresher that I didn't uh, expect, but nothing really happened in this chapter. So not a lot to be forgotten. Yeah. I just had some, like a, a bit of a minor thing, but like all the, there, there's where so many foreshadowing references foreshadowing. to the uh, cup yeah. that was coming up and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, that biggest thing. And then also I wanted to get, I have to give credit. I was looking at this website. There's a blog that I found that does a bit of a reread and breaks down chapters and on tor, T-O-R.com. And 
publisher. They, yeah, they they uh, had mentioned this, and I thought it was interesting and worth noting. But um, when Harry steps into that tent, and like the tents expand and they're huge in there, he attributes it to being very similar to his neighbor's Mrs. Finch's house, like the same smell, Big. same type of decor, and that type of thing. And it's kind of a you know a little bit of foreshadowing into the next book when we learn a little bit more about her and her role within the magicking world as well. Right. Yeah, hmm. that's true. Um, right. So despite the fact that nothing happened, uh, things did not make sense. So I want to just talk about the muggle role in this situation. Cause to me, I didn't even make notes on anything else because I couldn't get past this. Mm-hmm. They have put the tents on a muggle campground. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. I have a problem with that. <laughs> Wait, but hold on. But here's why. Rent the field. Rent the campground from him. Be like, hey, dude, we're doing a big rally for whatever. We're doing a cosplay. We want to rent all your campsites. And then pay. have one person who understands muggles pay him all the money. And then have the renters pay the ministry back. Why the hell are wizards who do not know how to interact with muggles interacting with muggles to the point they then have to wipe his memory every like 10 times a day Mm -hmm. what the hell is going on it is ridiculous the other thing that really bugged me about this situation is the fact that they didn't even know how to count the muggle money i mean i'm sorry but it's not different than any other foreign currency the numbers are still the same regardless of what the currency is like arthur weasley needs confirmation from harry that he's holding a ten dollar bill he knows what the number 10 is he sees it in potions i mean potions go by recipes yeah have units it is a universal unit it is not yeah foreign symbol yeah no and they keep talking about all these anti-muggle security things like when people walk up they automatically forget, think they have another appointment, so they leave. Why are there muggles around then? I thought you don't need to have muggles anywhere. You don't need them anywhere. I thought rent the, the area point. and yeah. get everyone else the fuck out of here. Like I thought the entire point of them holding the Quidditch World Cup like somewhere in the middle of nowhere was to the fact that they wouldn't have to be by them, not planning exactly. literally right next to a muggle exactly. campground. If they could do that. So to me, I see two things they could have done. So either get all the muggles out of here. Fine. But if you have spells that can just get the muggles out of here, why are they not having in a fucking Wembley Stadium mm-hmm. in the middle of London and being like, guys, muggles, uh, Wembley Stadium is closed today. Um, all the wizards port key in from a random campground in the middle of nowhere or whatever. What the, this, what a terrible plan. It seems like they they efficiently hide the stadium because they, in in the next chapter, we'll talk about it, but they hide a hundred thousand people easily. And whenever a muggle comes nearby, they all of a sudden remember that they have an important appointment that they got to get to. So why not do that on this? Yeah. So why not do that with the campgrounds? Like, which, what a, what a terrible setup of how to deal with this. I still also don't really truly understand why the campgrounds had to be close to the stadium no. with the concept of porkies. And we learn even more about porkies that they're actually one-time use items. Mm-hmm. So why not have a thousand campgrounds spread out all over the place? Uh, and then you don't have to worry about any of this. And then when it's time, every camper as part of your campsite rental gets a port key. Boom, takes you there. No problem. Right into the stadium. Yeah. Yeah. No, the entire thing, like 
all the wizards and witches running around at the campsite causing chaos and doing magic and drawing all this suspicion it just reminded me of like what? teenagers in the campground or they're like out yeah. there drinking or doing drugs there's things that they're not supposed to and like trying to hide it like it just well, they, they talk about too like we're supposed to cook food like muggles would camping why there are no muggles around there are muggles around why are there muggles around they don't need to be they're not muggles camping here there's only the muggles who run the campsite that you clearly could have bought out for a weekend with enough money. Oh man, that and just like the entire, yeah, how it's okay for them to be able to mess with a muggle's mind like yeah. 10 times over or whatever. Like that's that's kind of abusive. That's yeah, you're not harming them, but theoretically it's harmless, but we don't know. We don't know the yeah. long-term effects of Obliviate. I'm sure it hasn't been studied. We didn't do brain studies in 1993. Well, yeah, but the wizarding world is clueless and really eons behind in regards to research and technology, it yeah. seems like compared to what the muggle world even is, even if it is 1993 or 1994 or whatever. Oh, there, that really bugged me. There was a lot that didn't make sense about this chapter. Yeah. Anything else you want to highlight specifically or nothing in that, just some other yeah, general just, thoughts, just in general. If you want to be annoyed at event planning logistics with wizards and muggles, just read this chapter <laughs> and you'll just be like, why is all these things happening? Um, so I mentioned, yeah, that we learned that porkies are one time uses. So that basically nullifies everything we said about porkies last week. So yep. uh, don't listen to that episode again. Um, we also learned that Oliver Wood signed on to play professional Quidditch to a practice squad. So that's fun. Good, Good for him. him. Um, I will say this chapter, there's a ton of description of like the event grounds. And once you get past the fact that they're organized poorly, like if you don't care about how it's organized, you're just a event tender. It sounds like it'd be an absolute party, like just an oh, absolute yeah. blast. You, I, it sounds like world cup parties, like, so, like football world cup parties on steroids. Yep. Like no, just sounded amazing it sounded like that would be if you're a quidditch fan there's nothing there's no better place you could possibly be like a mix of that and then like i mean you can either love it or hate it i know liked it in my younger days but like music festival yeah. camping ground yeah party Definitely. vibes and that type yeah. of thing like it's tons of fun tons of fun i, I had a thought and then a question my first right. thought is kind of uh racist that the ministry your in thought, England. your thought is racist or your no 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 oh. the, 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 this is my thought. My my thought is not racist, but the Ministry of Magic in England kind of racist when they're wanting to ban carpets as charmable objects because of their connections to muggles, but then they have no problems using brooms. So background in this, there's this, uh, uh, I think it's Barty Crouchy comes up to Arthur wanting to bring forth this uh, problem that this guy named Ali Bashar, clearly a Middle Eastern name, he wants to be able to sell his magic carpets in England because he believes there's a market for it and they don't want that because it's clearly an item that needs to be banned because it's too closely connected to muggles yet they fly broomsticks so I just I thought it was a little weird that uh, racist undertones get the uh, the undertones against the uh, uh, South Asian uh, the the other yeah I just I, I thought it was interesting the other question I have for you, um, in this chapter, they're out buying their souvenirs. Harry buys three pairs of omnicoculars, um, basically fancy, fancy you binoculars. Are, I'm, yeah, not giving, yeah. I'm not giving that another go. Okay. You know what okay. I'm talking about. Omnoculars. Um, omnoculars. Yeah. I, I think there was an eye in there. <laughs> Omna, omnia, um, is it omnia? Now I'm, now I'm, now I'm second guessing it. Shit. Omnioculars. <laughs> omnioculars. I think okay. it is. Yeah. 
anyway, he he uh, he buys three pairs. Uh, they basically they slow mo the action. They get play by play as they watch it. It's a pretty cool device. Um, I looked it up online, the Lexicon Wizarding World Currency Exchange website. See, so he, he drops roughly seventy eight Canadian dollars each on Hermione and Ron to buy these buy these devices. Um, is that a nice gesture? Or is he just kind of showing off his money at this? No, point? I think it's nice. So you got to remember, he's absolutely loaded, mm -hmm. and, and he really doesn't. And he really doesn't spend money on outrageous things. He doesn't really have outrageous things. The reason he has a firebolt is not because he went out and bought himself a firebolt, right? Like, so I think it is, he realizes that they all want these because you can't watch Quidditch nicely because they don't have screens and it's a game 30,000 miles in the air. That's not, does not make a nice viewing space. So then he mm -hmm. wanted to see it, whatever, no problem. Um, I think it's a nice gesture. I don't right. think, I don't think he, uh, I think he's too worried about the funds there. And it's again, it's not like he's, he hasn't spent any wizarding money over the whole summer. Right. Like, so I don't think he's showing off. I think it, I think it's, I think it's a genuinely nice gesture. I do tend to agree with you. I think that there could be a way where it's done in like a pompous type of way, but it wasn't in this case. And he like, he does it with no hesitancy. It's not like he thought that like Ron was like begging him for them or right. anything like that. So Ultimately, it is a nice one. I just thought it was kind of interesting. The first time I read through, it was like, oh, I don't know. But yeah, ultimately, you can see how they react to it and that type of thing. That it's a, that it's a good gesture and adds, obviously, to their experience here. Any quotes that jumped out at you? Uh, Mr. Roberts. So he's the, the, the muggle, muggle who runs this campground. He goes, people from all over, loads of foreigners, weirdos, you know. There's a bloke walking around in a kilt and a poncho. Shouldn't he? Said Mr. Weasley anxiously. So again, like, no, it's weird. It's just weird that the Wizarding World has no concept of muggles, even though they live amongst them, live with them in the same families even, and see how they dress on a day-to-day -day basis. Yet they go in there wearing women, men with women's dresses and rain ponchos and kilts and that type of thing, all just yeah. to modify memories. It's weird. Yeah, no it's weird. Like it's weird. It's just... weird that they don't it's weird that they don't have any sense of what people would normally wear in England, right? Like, yeah. Even it's not that. weird. It's not weird that, you know, maybe some of the foreign wizards might not know what they wear in England, but it's weird mm -hmm. that Arthur Weasley wouldn't considering his job is. Yep. Yeah. So it's that. And then, yeah, I don't know. There was also mentioned a couple times anti-muggle security, which I mean, I get that it's just security to make sure that muggles don't, get it maybe i'm just like more woke in my older age or whatever the world progresses but anti-muggle like using the word anti in front is just it doesn't give a good vibe i think you've overthought that i think you <laughs> overthought that one um my quote is from ron talking about victor crumb foreshadowing he's a genius you wait until tonight you'll see uh we will see and will. he will not be a genius um but that's my quote one other fun quote, Mr. Weasley was uh, explaining to Harry and Hermione all these who these passer buyers are from the ministry. Yes. And he says, here comes Gilbert Wimple. He's with the Committee on Experimental Charms. He's had those horns for a while now. I just, I love that little interjection. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it might be a bit hard to pick out people for MVP and LVP again. Nothing happened. Mm -hmm. um, so who did you consider for LVP? The Wizarding World's Treatment of Muggles. That's not a person. It, the, the, the entity has to breathe. 
I went with Percy. Um, again, I just kind of found him slimy, like how he was talking down to Ludo the previous day and in the previous chapter, but then trying to suck up to him at the campsite. So he's he, he just came across really two-faced to me. Oh, totally reasonable. I, he was one of my two candidates. And in it, I just wrote uh, generally annoying. Like mm-hmm. he's just, he's just generally annoying. So um, Percy is well on his way to becoming arguably the least valuable character in the whole series. Yep. Um, we'll see how that whenever, goes. Whenever he appears, basically. <laughs> yeah. He's um, running. So I didn't go with Percy, though, because I actually went with Arthur Weasley. He has no idea how the campsite works. No idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you mentioned, he doesn't know what muggle money, how muggle money works. He doesn't know what muggles should be wearing. That's his whole job. Mm-hmm. So he's basically useless in the scenario where you would expect the head of muggle artifacts to be um, exceptionally skilled for arthur who's an extremely likable guy an extremely likable character i feel like he ranges in this lvp conversation a lot because he's just so bad with muggles even though he's supposed to be an expert with them which just makes me think more and more is like he has this high ranking quote-unquote high ranking ministry job but it feels like a job that no one wants I think that might be it. Yeah, I could see that being the case. Yeah. All right. So on the flip side, MVP considerators, who did you put here? Um, I had two, Um, Fred and George, because they bet their life savings on a bonkers bet that paid well. Outrageous bet for them to make. I, I again, and their fake wand, and their fake wand, wand, right? Got rave reviews from Ludo Bagman. Yeah, and he sold. They sold it for five galleons. I ended up looking up their bet: thirty-seven galleons, fifteen sickles, three nuts, two hundred and ninety-six dollars Canadian, apparently, which is their life savings between them. But that makes sense. Like they don't work in the off season or work during uh, the non-school year or the summer or whatever. Um, We end up learning, and I don't know if you remember this or not but again i had done some reading and the bet doesn't really work out in their favor in the long run so because of that i didn't go with them even though it was a good bet so i had to go with harry and i i know even though i posed the question whether it was crummy of him to show off his money or not he's ultimately doing it there because he wants his friends to enjoy it and he wants to enjoy the experience wasn't doing it like a malfoy snobby type of way and right. it was just a nice thing to do to his friends so i went with him uh what do you mean the bet? Actually, let's save that for the next chapter. Um, <laughs> because I think the bet itself pays off. What they do with the money is a different thing. Um, but well, we'll talk about that next time. Yeah. We'll talk about this. So I had three candidates, the twins, obviously, because just an outrageous bet. Outrageous. To even consider that as an option. So they got like, they should get like great. It's not even like a, they're not even doubling their money. He gave them good odds. It would have been insane odds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I considered Barty Crouch because he just calls Percy Weatherby and I found that hilarious. But I'm actually going to go with Hermione because she's the only person who even has a semblance of understanding of how camping works. And uh, that's very key for what they're currently trying to do. Yeah. Again, it doesn't take much really to be good in this chapter because like we said, there wasn't really a lot that uh, went on. Yeah. yeah, and we can move on to another chapter where really not that much happens, but uh, it's a bit more exciting from an action standpoint. So why don't you take us through Chapter 8, the Quidditch World Cup? 
All right, so the crew head up to their seats. They're in the premium top box, which are, I guess, like the grade A club level seats or whatever we want to uh, compare them to. They get up there. Harry meet, uh, meets the Barty Crouch's house elf. His name is Winky, but he mistakes her for Dobby. However, Winky does let Harry know that Dobby, she does know Dobby. He is free. However, he wants to be paid for his work now, which is causing some problems. Uh, tons of important people start filling up their box before the game. The Minister for Magic, Cornelius Fudge, is there. The Bulgarian Minister for Magic is there. There seems to be a bit of a language barrier as he doesn't seem to understand English. Uh, Winky, as I mentioned, uh, the Malfoy family is also there. So Dracus, Lucius, and Narcissa, uh, they managed to get there because uh, Lucius and the Malfoy family made a very big donation to a wizarding hospital, I believe it was. So they were there as a guest. At the, mental the mental hospital. The mental yeah. hospital. Yeah. And then, yes, yeah, so we meet Narcissa for the first time. And then, of course, Ludo, was, Ludo Bagman is up there as well, and he's doing commentary for the match. Uh, before the match, though... Each team, they bring out their mascots to showcase to the world and everyone who's there. Uh, the Bulgarians bring Vila. They're essentially like these mystical, attractive, mermaid vibe women who entrance all of the men and make them uncontrollable with lust, essentially. Uh, and the Irish, well, I mean, they bring leprechauns, very stereotypical, but they also throw out massive amounts of gold to the audience. Ron uh, promptly grabs a bunch of it, though, pays Harry back for his omnioculars. Can we just pause one second? They are like 30,000 feet in the ground. How hard are these leprechauns whipping gold? Uh, it's only 50 feet because oh. in, I th that's my assumption, because my understanding and in the chapter it's described as the golden goalpost being 50 feet up in the air. So if that's where the okay. goals they're not quite as at, high as I thought. Okay. And I but, think, but even still, like if you think about how much force you have to launch, like a t-shirt. Oh, for sure. To get it like 25 rows back at like a football game or whatever, they're throwing small gold in coins that, you know, I bet you somebody got hurt. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Well, I did mean to interrupt, but not for this long. Continue. Gold is being, for you're also forgetting that they're magical. And... They are. That's true. That's true. Okay. So Ron caught some gold. Paid Harry back. Uh, the teams begin to play Quidditch. The The game gets increasingly dirty, underhanded, and it causes a lot of tension between the two teams. And it eventually erupts into the mascots breaking up into a fight down at the field level below during the middle of the match. The Vila go from these beautiful women into turning nasty and moody, i.e. I guess like some lame women typical stereotyping and a bunch of ministry wizards are uh, basically down trying to separate the chaos below an Irish beater blasts a bludger directly at us at the seeker superstar Victor Crumb breaks his nose the referee is distracted though he doesn't see it because he's looking at the Vila who have kind of lost their minds and are this referee doesn't know what's going on basically Crum decides to end the, end the game on his own terms, thinking that his team isn't going to be able to catch up anyway. He catches the snitch while they trail 160, so Ireland wins by 10 points. The Irish celebrate. The Bulgarian minister reveals that he can speak English and understood fudge the entire time. And the Weasley twins go up with their hands outstretched to Ludo, waiting for their massive payday, because they had bet that Crum would catch the snitch, but Bulgaria would still lose. That's our right. chapter. Yeah. So I guess we just talk about the match. Um, the match was a shit show. How is that good 
for anything. I, 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 it has to be the equivalent of like a soccer world cup where the audience just storms the field or whatever, and just erupts into a big riot, but yet the game still continues. There's no sporting integrity to it. No, but I mean, (laughs) that's the whole thing. What I thought was interesting though, is that Harry finds himself needing to watch it in slow motion. Um, And I think that just shows how much better these professional are than the people playing at school for someone who's so good and so well-versed. He doesn't want to watch it at full speed because he can't follow it. Um, So I think that's an impressive like way to describe about how good these athletes are. I thought that was kind of fun. That. And also I kind of pictured it as a way of like Harry, who is obviously Quidditch obsessed. I think he likes watching it in a slow-mo so that he can see exactly what they're doing, exactly how they're reacting and that type of thing. But yeah, super fast way compared to the the way that they play at school, obviously, given the brooms that they're on and their level of confidence. Um, Even though the Irish um, seeker, he manages to crash into the ground, not once, but twice in this game. And I, I have to wonder, like, how good are you at Quidditch if you can't really pull out of a nosedive like that and not manage to well, hit the ground. So I think there's a there's a there's a different way to look at it. It's he went in on a head first dive because Crumb was going in on a head first dive. Yeah, Crumb faked him out. And Crumb pulled out and he couldn't. And this is the Quidditch World Cup final. So if Lynch can't pull out of these dives, that should show us how good Crumb is. I think that's the point there. It's yeah. that It's not that he kept crashing because he couldn't fly. It's that he was forced to try and do things that were beyond his control. And he's the seeker for the World Cup champions. So he must be pretty darn good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, Otherwise, yeah, obviously a very high level of play from both these teams. The the chasers from Ireland, particularly good, managed to get a 160-point lead, which is, I think, an outrageous type of lead. 16-goal differential. That's a like back to, to me, that just kind of seems like if you're not able to, if your chases aren't able to keep up or your bludgers and that type of thing, do you deserve to be in that game? Well, I think, well, so again, because the rules are stupid and this is two different games mixed into one, I think what this showed us is that Crumb is so good that he would just catch the snitch before other before teams anyone. had a chance to build the leads. Yeah. I think that, I think that's how they probably got there. Um, but then they ran up against a team where he couldn't do it. Um, But let's talk about Crumb for a sec here. Mm -hmm. Why the hell did he catch the snitch? Because the reasoning, the reasoning that they, that they talk about in the book from the characters is like, Oh, he wanted to go out on his own terms. Fuck you. If you were my teammate, I would never speak to you again. No, that would, that's a terrible thing to do when you're all you have to do is not, catch it and give your chasers a chance to score two 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 and i get it they weren't really in it and i think that's part of it like the way the bulgarian team played kind of reminded me of the way the slytherin team plays where they were just trying to like out physical Mm -hmm. as opposed to out skill and that might have been their strategy the whole time and he might not have been wrong that they were never going to close the gap but it doesn't matter don't just give up he basically just gave up he gave what a, up. And what a what a shitty shitty teammate. Well, that's the thing. I would be infuriated, and even the Bulgarian ministers like, oh, it wasn't meant to be. 
Like, I guess maybe that's their style of play. And then they thought, well, it, it is over at this point. I don't know. Doesn't, but doesn't even that, the fact of the matter is the, the Ireland seeker had once again just crashed, crashed. into the ground. All he, he wasn't going to be a threat to the snitch. That's anymore. my he All he has wait. to do. All he has to do is just stop Lynch from catching it. Yep. Just stop him from catching it. He, he can't fly with you. So you can just put your hands around it and not catch it. And yep. then fly away and throw it away and then knock the other guy off the broom, whatever. It's just a foul. What I also didn't like about it is like, yeah, they try and explain it and make it seem like it was a noble thing to do or no, whatever. It wasn't noble. It's stupid. Like it's a loser sudden, mentality. But then all of a sudden Hermione is calling him very brave. And yeah, loser mentality, like, Hermione. Yeah. Yeah. Least valuable character, Hermione, for thinking that that was brave. That's not my actual choice because the actual choice, spoiler alert, is the loser is who Victor. caught the snitch when they lost. But, you know, anyone who thought that was good makes it onto the shortlist. A funny, a fun fact toyed or moment that happened in the match was when the Vila sort of went on the pitch and dis- distracted the referee. I found that funny. I have a question. Are these Vila basically super hot women who are also dragons? Like they talk about them transforming and like growing like beaks and like breathing fire. So I, I don't, I don't understand this creature. I just never saw it. I just saw it as like a stereotype of what women can be because well, even that's what it metaphorically is. But I just pictured like mer women, like they're 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 humanoid, but maybe, but obviously not humans because they have like light glowing skin or whatever yeah it was weird i I, i've never heard of a vila before i don't know if it was created for harry potter let's check uh i basically only see it in reference to harry potter yeah that's what i'm seeing as well so a nearly human magical being who appears as young beautiful women with gold blonde hair moon bright skin reminiscent of sirens of greek mythology yeah okay exactly that's that's exactly the vibe that i that i got from it yeah i don't see any other references to them in like yeah greek culture greek history history or anything like that so yeah 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 it's an interesting interesting choice um i don't know the i found the details of the stadium interesting like the it's this big, massive, 100,000-seater of a stadium bound in gold and purple and this type of stuff. Yeah, it, like was, it, it was a cool description. It was a, Again, it was a fun chapter to read, despite the fact it was A, about Quidditch, and B, nothing particularly vital happens. Um, so, considering that, anything you had forgotten? Basically that. Um, otherwise, yeah, it's a Quidditch match. Obviously, the ending is very memorable. Yeah. Um, I maybe oh. forgot or didn't quite know that they were like in the primo seats there with the, the Malfoys and whatnot, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that is meant to illustrate how important Ludo Bagman is in the ministry that he was able to get them those seats. Yeah. Uh, I had forgotten about Winky the house elf. Uh, yeah, I she, guess that's fair. She, when I, when her name came up, it reminded me that she is going to play a bigger point as we go. Um, which sort of just, Reminds me like the, some, like there was some interesting, like with a chapter totally about Quidditch, there was some interesting foreshadowing about Dobby and Dobby, what, and what he's up to. Um, and so her position just sort of on, on what house elves should do. I found very interesting. Um, 
And I don't really know how to describe, I mean, I can describe her position is house elves should be slaves because she's a slave. She's like, that's just what they've always done. So that's what they it's should do. It's just what they're born to believe. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that's sort of like belief that you can't ever exceed your standing is, is an interesting one to, to see, especially in contrast to Dobby who, who says, fuck that. And, and just I want money on. now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we, like, we like that. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting about that, and it kind of plays into like things that didn't make sense for me, but like, how do Winky and Dobby stay in contact? How does Winky know all this? Like, do well, they have, they're very, they're very powerful. Do they magic all stay users. in contact? I well, guess? I think they like, can just kind of go around. So we know, I mean, spoiler alert, Barty Crouch is about to spend a ton of time at Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. We also know that's where Dobie is. I think that's probably how yeah. he's probably been in and out of there getting everything ready. I guess, that, guess, yeah, I guess at that point, though, but like what I was leading into is like if they're in contact with each other and then kind of travel back and forth to each other and they're communicating, you think that they could like maybe plan a rebellion to not be slaves anymore? Well, like, let's, I get uh, that a lot let's of leave that like, conversation. Let's leave that conversation because it might come up again. It might. It might. Theoretically. Book. There might, might be a chapter dedicated to it. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. We don't need to talk about Chrome catching the snitch as things that don't make sense. I think we covered that. In case you missed us 10 seconds ago, Crumb catching the snitch does not make sense. He's a loser, not a metaphorical loser, uh, by the definition of the word, an actual loser. Um, But also in the Quidditch match, they pause the game for Lynch's injury. Mm -hmm. But in the last book, in not World Cup Quidditch, in Hogwarts Quidditch, Harry faints. And oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do. What? What? I mean, I guess that's not that what the things that don't make sense in now, but like it just makes that the fact that they didn't do anything about it then even so much worse. Well, that yeah, and then that, and they have these medi wizards basically like right ambulance people or whatever like coming in and EMT to be able to do these on site things. That should just be kind of standard, or you think some kind of safety precaution yeah. that even like they have at the schooling level, but yeah, clearly yeah, maybe not. don't let him faint would be my first thing, but yeah, you know. So that was to me other than crumb that was the big thing that that stood out to me. Um, anything else on this chapter you want to talk about before we get into quotes? Nah, I mean, this is a fun chapter. Fun this chapter. Fun Definitely read. a fun chapter. Definitely a fun chapter. It's infuriating to read uh, as you see him catch it and you're like, what are you doing? But that leads very nicely into my quote from Ron about Crumb again. <laughs> Mine is he, the same. He ended it when Ireland were 160 ahead. The idiot. And I'm, and you saw Ron, who last chapter, beginning of this chapter, just sort of Idolized obsessed with him. this guy. Yeah, that's yep. the right word. It was his idol, this guy who was so young and so good at Quidditch. Ron loves Quidditch. And then, no, he's actually an idiot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's, the same quote. that's the same quote you captured? Yeah. I, I that just, was the best. I, it was the best quote. It, it was, was the best quote because otherwise it's just a lot of description of like who's passing to who and that type of thing. But yeah, I had, yeah, the, the also in how he delivered it as well, because just previous to that, he's like, what did you do that for Ron bellowed? Even as he jumped up and down applauding with his hands over his head, then yeah, he ended it when Ireland were 160 points ahead. The idiot. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the, the, the idiot LVPs, is LVP. Yeah, he is. I also considered, I wrote down in my Harry, Harry as well, because he, his thought was, it was good of Crumb to end it on his own terms. No, no, it's not. He just gave up. We don't need to, sorry, we don't need no. to go on there. But it's, it's well, cool. that too. And yeah, that was like Hermione too. It like, oh, he was so brave to like continue through yeah. his broken nose or whatever. 
I, I considered Lucius because at the beginning he makes a comment about how Arthur's house surely wouldn't be enough to afford the tickets in that box. Yeah. Which was kind of a funny comment, obviously a dick thing to say, but yeah, it doesn't overshadow that Victor Crumb just was super selfish and did not help his team out by trying to give them a chance to win the game. Yeah. All right. So who'd you go for MVP? That was tough. I had to go with the Bulgarian minister because he was, me- <laughs> he was essentially messing with fudge all day. He was like he couldn't speak English, acting like he didn't recognize who Harry Potter was and stuff. And then at the end starts talking in English and just realizes that, oh, yeah, it was funny. So I went with him. All right. So I went with the Weasley twins because their outrageous bet paid off. Like they won their outrageous bet. And I believe I've remembered. I haven't looked it up, but I think I remember what happens is Ludo can't pay them. He runs out of money. Yeah, but I don't. That's not their fault. So I'm still giving them MVP because they picked an outrageous bet. And they won. They did so, win. Yeah. They don't get the payout, unfortunately. They don't get the payout, but but they do actually uh but it's get the true. money. It's or true. They, they do, do they get do it. get the glory of, of being like we predicted this. They do and yeah, we they, theoretically would have made money if the guy we bet wasn't a degenerate gambler who gambled away all his money. They do deserve that. I agree yeah. with you. So yeah, that's that, that's sort of what we got this week. Um fun chapters. Not that interesting necessarily, but but fun to read. Like, I mean, interesting, but not very, um, like particularly exciting in but, terms of plot development. Plot, um, yeah. But you also get, we get for a ton the of first time, a, well, ton of foreshadowing, but just a, a greater look at what the world is like outside of Britain and yeah. like Harry coming to the realization that, Oh yeah, there must be other map wizarding schools all around the world. It's mm-hmm. not just Hogwarts and that type of thing. Like there's a great big world around them and they still kind of have like that fragmented, society or globalization or industrialization that like we have in our world too yeah. and like it's just kind of it, it's interesting to be able to take a look at that and see what how it exactly all uh plays into the world so yes. i liked it for that you get to see a little bit of everything um Agreed. i don't are we doing two chapters next week no next chapters? week we just have one chapter one big chapter, chapter though yeah the dark mark um i think we get a little bit more barty crouch we definitely get some new information to us as readers about Voldemort. Um, And I'm very excited to read it. I don't, I know what happens in the movie. I have a very visual representation of what happens in this chapter from the movie. Everything's on fire, that kind of stuff. I don't know if it's like that in the book. So I'm very excited to read not only about like, what are all the circumstances that they come up with, but what actually happens Mm -hmm. in the, in the actual text, like what actually happens, how long, how much time passes um, so I think it's, we should have some more interesting things to talk about. I think so. Sure. I think when you have like hundred thousand people there, I think it's going to get pretty chaotic. I, I don't know to what extent, but I'm, I, I can't wait for this chapter. I mean, this is probably the first thing that really kind of sets us on our path this is, of what this book is going to be about. This is the first yeah. kind of real big event, like this, this past chapter, the past few chapters and this year. A lot of so. setup so far. And now we need something to sort of, um, you know, light the spark plug if you. Um, if you are to think of it in that type of fire metaphor. Um, um, in the meantime, though, you want to give us a follow at Harry Potter Reread Podcast. Check it out. You can check out the Hagrid or the Hagrid, the Hedwig Lego set yeah. that, uh, that I built recently. Uh, follow along there. We also have a 
few stories every now and then. We post up our latest episodes there as well. You can also send us a direct message. Let us know what you think of the show. You can also email us, Harry Potter Reread Podcast let us at know, gmail.com. Let us know if you have a terrible opinion of you don't think Crumb is a terrible teammate and a huge loser. I would love to hear arguments. For I'd love Crumb. to hear anything that is even remotely defensive of that. That is not um, he's brave or that he just wanted to yeah, end it. That doesn't just you know come across in loser mentality. Um but let us know. Uh, well, look, we're recording these pretty close to release time. Uh, this time, we don't have a bunch backdated right now. So you get that into us. We'll talk about an up- upcoming uh, upcoming episode for sure, because we're going to deal with a lot of Victor Crumb. He's about to he's about to make a big uh, a big splash in this book. Obviously, um, we're going to. So he'll be he'll be on the. Uh, He'll be on the the agenda of more than one episode coming up for sure. The catalyst of a romance to come, I'm sure. Basically, like <laughs> what, a, what a fucking loser. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we'll be back next week. Um, we'll talk about the dark mark, and you know, whatever that's else it. comes to our whatever minds. else comes up, whatever else comes up. So, you know, we're available where you get podcasts. If you want to give us a review, that's great. To be honest, I haven't even looked. I bet you that if we have reviews, people are glowing only. Loving it. Yeah. So, you know, thanks for listening. I'm David. That was Kyle. Bye. Bye.